Chris Licht is not a CEO. He's not a chairman. He is a great executive producer, and he can't executive produce anything good at CNN. So why is he the person running this network, especially when at this point, nobody in the building really seems to trust him? Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, November 4th. Today, Dylan Byers is here to talk about whether CNN president Chris Licht is losing the support of his newsroom amid layoffs, talent decisions, shrinking ratings, and the institutional decline of cable news. And later on, Alex Bigler is here for another round of Feedback Friday. Alex just got back from DC, the district of disaster, and she's here with Puck subscriber questions from our nation's capital. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode, Powers the Beat. Happy Friday, Powers That Be listeners. I'm joined today by Dylan Byers, who has some new reporting up on the inner workings of CNN and some new grumbling that feels like it's emerging, Dylan, among the rank and file about Chris Licht. Oh, it's further than the rank and file. And it's not even grumbling. What's crazy now is just how extensive these sentiments are. There are clearly people who are loyal to Jeff Zucker, who don't like Chris Lick very much, perhaps, or David Zasloff above him. Feels like people have been at least willing to go along for the ride for the last six or seven months. What's changed in the last few weeks or even the last month in your mind? I think three things have changed. One is on the sort of core programming front, which is Chris Lick came in and didn't articulate much of a vision for CNN beyond making it less polarizing more accessible to people and getting back to sort of just the facts, ma'am, news, which is all well and good. And I think something that both you and I have talked about in the past is like, that's not such a bad thing. I don't need to hear the chest thumping self-righteousness of primetime anchors. I'm, I'm very happy to have CNN be a news product. The problem is, is that he took his time. He got rid of some people. He got rid of breaking news chirons. And he said, look, we're going to experiment with some things over the summer and then we'll be ready to go in the fall. Summer came and went, fall came around, and he did two notable things. He moved Don Lemon out of primetime and put Jake Tapper in the 9 p.m. hour, and he launched a new morning show with Don Lemon at the helm. The Jake Tapper experiment, it was marketed as temporary, but it is what Chris Licht wanted. It is, it is what he was betting on in primetime. Exploded almost immediately. The ratings quickly cratered, and now, as of this week, Jake Tapper, it has been confirmed, is going to go back to the afternoon hour. So the one card that Chris Licht had up his sleeve in prime time isn't actually working. And it's not going to work. And he's going to have to come up with something else and rearrange a different deck chair on the Titanic to figure out what he's doing in prime time, which has historically been the most lucrative part of the whole linear cable news business. When the Tapper role was announced in primetime. It was announced as like temporary. Yes. What the temporary thing did is a couple of things. One, Jake Tapper wasn't sure he wanted primetime. He will say family considerations, but also because it comes with a lot of pressure because you're under a Klieg light in terms of your performance and the ratings and everything. But he did it because 
Chris Licht wanted him to give it a try. Chris Licht wanted to use it as an opportunity to convince him that he would be very good at it and that he could be the face of the new Chris Licht CNN. He gave it a try. It didn't work. To suggest that this was always the plan, that he was always going to go back to the afternoons, is 100% false. Chris Licht was setting Jake Tapper up to be the permanent primetime host, and it was a disaster, and it didn't work. And as of this week, he was drawing, this number is going to shock you, less than 500,000 viewers total at 9 p.m. These numbers were brutal. They were a disaster. There was no way to spin this as a win. So... He's gone. Now, the second thing he's done is he started this morning show with Don Lemon and Caitlin Collins and Poppy Harlow, which I don't know if you've watched it, but it's totally fine in my view. There's no sign that it's going to move the needle for CNN. And in fact, it is starting from a very significant deficit of, get ready for this, 350,000 total viewers on its debut and 71,000 viewers in the demo on its debut. Can those numbers grow? Certainly they can, but it's going to take a long time for them to grow, for Chris Lick to claim success in this arena by any metric. So the programming decisions haven't worked. And this, of course, was Chris Lick's claim to fame. He is the wonderkind executive producer behind Morning Joe and CBS This Morning and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And he has yet to produce a demonstrable success at CNN eight months after it was announced that he was getting the job. The second thing that has been such a huge blow to people is the layoffs that are already underway and the budget cuts, which he announced last week, which he had initially promised he wasn't going to do. And these cuts, despite what CNN PR might tell you, these cuts are going to be extensive and they're going to affect almost every single part of the organization. And so there's a great deal of frustration and antipathy toward Chris Licht because he came in, he put himself on a different floor in the executive suite, and basically led from a distance, and now has appeared to have gone back on his promise not to lay people off. And so there's a lot of anger in the building, especially among the rank and file and people who are fearful for their jobs. Number three, and this is partly a result of these layoffs and these budget cuts, is that he is reducing CNN back to what it was before the Jeff Zucker era, which is it's no longer a global media company focused on growth, It is now going back to being a cable news channel with a website, a powerful website. But he's completely cutting off original films and series, which was one of basically one of three pillars that propped CNN up over the last decade. There's a lot of anger and frustration there and also just a sense that CNN is no longer focused on growing its business beyond the core news product. Needless to say, the people who either worked in that division or like being associated with a brand that was also responsible for Anthony Bourdain and Stanley Tucci and award-winning documentaries are pretty pissed off about that as well. So all three of these things have sort of conspired to come together and create this feeling that Chris Lick doesn't know what he's doing and that it is extremely hard to find people in the building, even off the record, who will defend what he's doing or say that he is deserving of more time with which to execute his vision. That is the overwhelming sentiment inside the building, and it is pervasive, and it is a very serious problem for his ability to lead that organization. So I'll play devil's advocate for Chris Licht here. People that work in cable news and TV news don't understand business. That's one. Two, people that work in cable news, frankly, don't really understand entertainment um, and what people want. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm with you so far. You know, I mean, like entertainment and news is derived from the news itself, not the people producing the shows and the reporters, i.e. Donald Trump, like ratings, eyeballs, etc. There should be some people in these ranks who actually need to, I feel like, assign some blame to the expectations set up by Jeff Zucker and some of the overspending. CNN Plus is a great example of that. Hiring talent willy-nilly and paying them way too much to create things that people actually don't want. And the structural decline and the audience decline. Just looked it up on TV Newser. Total viewers for Fox News in primetime in October, 2.2 million people total. MSNBC, 1.2 million people. CNN, 624,000 people. This, that's much lower than MSNBC. You know, at the same time, Fox and MSNBC just invest in telling people what they want to hear. CNN is trying to invest in telling people what they need to hear. And that's just a harder audience. And so all of this is to say, amid the structural and audience decline of cable news, amid the expectations and, frankly, some of the bad editorial decisions of the Zucker era, which lost CNN a lot of trust, it kind of feels like people should be rooting for, <laughs> for someone to come in and be like, all of this shit is hard. We need to clear out some weeds and prepare ourselves for the future here. And, you know, expectations can't be what they were for the last seven years. I agree wholeheartedly that Jeff Zucker spent a lot of money. There is a desire, and this is true among all Warner Brothers Discovery right now, that there's a need to cut costs in a very real way. A lot of the organizations are bloated and have people there who maybe don't need to be there. And that is one of the cold, hard realities of business in America. The business needs to run smoothly and it needs to make money and some people need to lose their jobs for that to happen. The thing that I struggle with here is, is Chris Licht the right person for the job at hand and for what you describe? And it seems to me that there are aspects to running any business that go beyond the P&L and the balance sheet, which is you need to inspire your staff, you need to engender the loyalty of your staff, you need to articulate a clear vision, and you need to execute on the core aspects of the business, which include programming. Now, is it good to reduce spending at CNN? Sure. Is it good to get rid of the partisan, polarizing programming on the network? Sure. But in its place, you have to create something of value. And the problem is that what Chris Licht is doing right now, he is making CNN almost entirely irrelevant in all but the invasions and wars and elections and and the death of the queen, CNN, it, like almost nobody is watching CNN. That said, CNN is a strong brand that has been built over decades, and I'm not worried about it going away anytime soon. But when you're talking about less than 500,000 people at, at 9 p.m., you are courting an existential crisis. I'm not saying you're there, but you're getting there. What's hard for me is Chris Licht is not a CEO. He's not a chairman. He's never done that before in his life. He is a great executive producer and he can't executive produce anything good at CNN. So why is he the person running this network, especially when at this point, nobody in the building really seems to trust him anymore? It's just a mystery to me. All right, Dylan. Thank you as always. Uh, and on behalf of CNN's public relations team, you suck. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I feel for them. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Have a good weekend. All right, man. Cheers. When we come back, Alex Bigler is here to answer your listener questions.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined, like I am every Friday, or like you are every Friday, because I'm not here every Friday, by Alex Bigler, <laughs> who joins us every Friday with news, notes, criticism, feedback from Puck readers and listeners of this podcast. I hope everything's okay this week. What are people saying, Alex? Well, first of all, Peter, I just got back from D.C., and with all due respect to our wonderful political reporters, the main question that people were asking me while I was down there is not, is Joe Biden running for re-election, but rather, when is Peter Hamby coming back from to D.C.? The town wants their the town wants their mayor back. Like that's my key takeaway from my visit. That's a nice thing to hear. I feel like I like text and talk to lots of my DC friends a lot and talk to sources. And it has been a while. I've stuck in a few times, but I need a proper work trip with a sport coat and you know some drinks at Old Ebbet Grill or something like that. <laughs> that's nice to hear. With that in mind, maybe we will have something on the horizon, some sort of event or something to get you back in D.C. But yes, so I'm here today, you know, and with a little bit of kind of a a special D.C. segment to talk to you because I was privileged enough while I was down there to, to talk to some subscribers. I'm thrilled to share them with you. I want to hear what the word in D.C. is about Puck. OK, great. First one. As a DC-based reader, it seems like more and more people around me are starting to recognize and subscribe to Puck. Now, listeners, I did not write this. Somebody said this to me, so that's exciting. As you continue to grow in DC, is there a certain angle you'd like to claim as Pucks, the thing that sets you apart from the politicos and the hills of the world? This is one reason I work for Puck. DC journalism generally is too often talking to insiders and other people in Washington. And people are trying to impress their colleagues and sources and bosses in Washington and show off how much they know. And the more you go down that funnel, the more opaque and foreign what you're talking about sounds to people outside of Washington and outside of people who obsess about politics. And so I feel like I've said the words intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Hollywood, and (laughs) Silicon Valley so much at this point. But, you know, if you are a puck reader and you care about these power centers and what's going on, that doesn't mean you know about all the other power centers. Like maybe you are an expert in politics, but you don't really know that much about what's going on in the tech world or what's going on with Discovery Plus. Um, But I think you can care. And I think we find a way to sort of talk about important things to smart, educated people without making it sound like you're speaking a foreign language. Totally. I literally had this conversation two days ago with someone told me that they read Puck and they find the Washington politics work interesting. But one of the main reasons they read it is because the politician that they work for has a district that is very big in media and entertainment. And she finds that reading about media and entertainment from Puck in particular is very helpful for her as she thinks about how to prep him for what his constituents might be thinking about. And I think Axios does a good job of this. It's like they understand that a lot of these worlds we cover are also commingled. I mean, like Elon Musk, Twitter coverage is a great example of that. It encompasses politics, media, tech, Wall Street. And, you know, I think we are able to touch on things that cross-pollinate and turn them into stories that are worth reading for all the people in those different sectors. Totally. Okay, question number two. I think you guys are producing some of the most interesting content out there right now. 
And they knew that I would be speaking to you, by the way. So this is a question particularly for you. In no particular order, who are some of the most interesting people you've ever interviewed and what made them interesting? That's a great question. It's obviously cool to interview a president. Um, I've done that three times. <laughs> all since leaving CNN and joining Snapchat, of all places. Um, this is like when you get asked that, like, who do you want to invite to like a dinner party question? I never have an easy answer. The person I keep thinking about, who I covered a lot, um, is Sarah Palin, because I, one, was one of few reporters covering her on the campaign trail when she was picked as McCain's running mate and watched the whole, that whole seam of like grievance-driven populism open up fight like reacting to the elites and seeing the kind of power that she was able to have in front of the crowds and how that led to Donald Trump in a lot of ways. I just think about that a lot, that I was there at a moment before Trump when things started feeling a little different. And she was a fascinating figure. I mean, she was ridiculed wrongly in a lot of ways by national press and elites and appropriately in a lot of other ways. But complicated figure, still complicated, but she's the one I end up thinking about a lot. I'll say that much. Well, I look forward to seeing Sarah Palin at your dinner party someday soon in the future. Thanks for having me. And I'll lead you into the weekend with a really nice thing that someone someone emailed us about, which is, if McSweeney's and The Economist had kids, Puck would be the most interesting of their children. A lovely sentiment. I'm going to spend the entire weekend needle pointing it onto a pillow for you. And I hope you have a great weekend. I've read McSweeney's a lot back in the day. I need to go check it out. You have a good weekend too. I'll be reading McSweeney's. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. <laughs>